We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast for this week. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. Mario just got back from Las Vegas the other day, the annual Rotowire Vegas trip. Always a good time uh, seeing the entire company, seeing a lot of cool people. Uh, I ran into Steve Kerr. Really? Huh? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, outside of the, the dinner uh, the last night. Uh, even won a little bit of money on blackjack, something that, that is unprecedented for your boy. So uh, feeling excellent. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm walking tall it's right now. Feeling winning, good. It's gonna be a winning year for John McKechnie. After the blackjack, <laughs> everything else is easy. All all signs point to it. Threw down a couple of bets. Uh, might shock you. I put down on uh, the George Bulldogs to, to win the national title. Um, had. Uh, such a close one with uh, with Trey Mancini in the All Star break, or the uh, I'm sorry, the home run right. derby. But that would have been that would have like taken it over the top. But still an amazing trip, uh, just a, as it was every year. So a lot of fun was had, and and of course one of the the staples of the Rotowire Vegas trip is the Rotowire Vegas draft, which is uh, a old school style standard. Uh, two two running backs, three receivers, a flex, one quarterback, one tight end, uh, defense, and a kicker. So that uh, you know, just the the good old old school style. I think three leagues were running for that one. So I want to get into uh, my Vegas league, uh, which was ran by Tim Schuler. There, there's a write up on the site as well uh, from Liss uh, writing up his particular league, but uh, we'll go and uh, and dive into mine a little bit and I'll get the uh, the board tweeted out. I will not share my screen this time because I don't want to send uh, the, the broadcast into a wormhole uh, the way I did uh, last week. But, so Mario, I started out at the nine spot. I ended up with Saquon Barkley. How does that happen? That doesn't happen often. Yeah. Um... Freaking Chris Benzine is the big reason, I would say. Uh, just yeah. Chris. It's also Eric Halterman took Nick Chubb. That doesn't happen very often. 
Uh, you don't see Jonathan Taylor ahead of Saquon that often either, but Nick Rawling made that pick. I've made it too a few times. So uh, that one, I think it's it's a little unconventional, but pretty easily rationalized. And uh, I guess there's a case for Cam Akers, maybe even Chubb over Barkley. I, I guess it being standard scoring might have also kind of uh, lessened Barkley's relative appeal. Right, and and uh, you know that with this draft, there, there's a there's a human element component where uh, Jonathan Taylor wasn't going to fall through that like stronghold of Badger fans, like that just wasn't going to happen, whether it was Rawling, Zine, or or, uh, or Eric Halterman. So um, wasn't completely shocked, but that uh, that JT went early. I was surprised by by the Acres pick, but like you said, you know if, if you can dream on the upside scenario for him, then you know it's totally feasible that he ends up with, with the top ten season. Um, but but even still, all, all that considered, it just feel it feels almost criminal to to have Zeke fall into my lap at nine. I mean, I've been a little bit skeptical. I've I've cooled off on the skepticism. Uh, over the course of the off season, but you know, coming coming into draft season, you know, my first couple of, of best ball drafts, that sort of thing. If I drew a pick inside the top five, I was probably going in, a, in another direction. You know, with, with the tiebreaker being he's coming off the significant knee injury, but seems like he's made all the progress that that you would expect a guy as athletic um, and as young as he is. So looks like he's kind of all systems go. They've invested a fair amount into that offensive line via the draft and everything. So I think things are really, really looking up for Saquon in a way where, you know, if he if he's there for you, pick six and, and beyond, it I think it's a slam dunk. Yeah, I am not particularly high on Barkley at his normal price, but after the sixth pick especially, it's pretty easy to sell. And I talked a little bit on the radio with, uh, I can't remember, I guess it would have been with Jim, but uh, I mentioned that I'm not really taking Chubb at like 10 or 11 if he, if he costs that much this year, just because I do think it's going to take Kareem Hunt getting hurt for Chubb to be the, the ceiling theory that he that he otherwise might have. It's not going to be like, the, well, if I was running the team, he would probably get, yeah, 20 carries and five catches a game. But I think the Browns are going to say, we got to get Kareem Hunt on the field. And, and as long as that's the case, I don't see how Chubb can catch Saquon Barkley from scrimmage. Yeah, I think that that's totally reasonable. I mean, that they have, the Browns, you know, as much as we like Nick Chubb, the Browns would be foolish to, to use Kareem Hunt the way that um, the Giants would use a, a Devontae Booker or something like it. If you have a guy as talented as Kareem Hunt, you do need to Disagree, get him on the Disagree, John. Field. <laughs> if, if, I was running, if I was running the Browns offense, I'd be taking Chubb first overall. But uh, unfortunately, and no, I get it. It's, I'm joking a little bit. Kareem Hunt is good. I don't think he's bad or anything. But I, I do think Chubb is, you know, basically the best running back along with Dalvin Cook. Uh, total monsters yep. in their unique category. Yeah, totally. So um, either way, uh, things are things are setting up well for for both of those. Good value uh, for your team. Yeah. Yes. So uh, I was I was very very happy with that, and in fact, it was nine running backs to to start things off. So that after I picked the streak ended, um, we had we had a guy take uh, Travis Kelsey to start things off, and then he piggybacked and got uh, Tyreek Hill. So a little bit of a Chiefs stack uh, going. Kind of an interesting play. But, uh, you know, one that, that could obviously pan out anytime that you have both of Patrick Mahomes' top pass catchers. That's not a bad thing. Um, looking elsewhere, uh, I like the double tap 
at 12 and 13. So the end of the first and uh, first pick of the second, Ryan Poole went ahead, went Antonio Gibson, which is, I think that might be the highest I've seen him go. Uh, and then he went with Austin Eckler. But I think that, that that's still like a nice one-two pairing uh, for, for starting things off. He, even if it is standard, that, that takes away a little bit of that upside. But it's still, I think, a, a really n- nice uh, start, uh, especially when uh, the rest of the first round was as running back heavy as it was. Yeah, you guys really hammered running back. So I, it, when I'm picking from 11 or 12, like Ryan was, I pretty much always go running back, running back. And we'll see how that age is. But basically, I, I just want to get really good running backs early so that I can put volume at receiver, uh, especially in best ball, of course, which I mainly do. Uh, that's less pertinent in this environment, but I still, every year, I feel like I can find receivers in the mid-round sooner than I can find a running back in the mid-round. And uh, especially when you guys are drafting as running back aggressive as you were, uh, there's pretty high risk when you're at the turn of the round that by the time your third pick comes up, you're choosing between like uh, Kareem Hunt and James Conner or something like that. Uh, so I like the choice to get Gibson there. I'm higher on Gibson than most people. Um, Eckler, maybe it's going to be tough for him to get there in PPR, but definitely love the player. And, and normally I like that pick, especially in half point PPR or full PPR. I probably would have taken uh, Joe Mixon instead in this format just because, uh, or Aaron Jones, somebody like that. Uh, just because Eckler's appeal does rest so heavily in, in the pass catching. But he's a good player. I, I, I will never truly bash an Eckler pick. No, you, you can't do it. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, the, the clip earlier, but um, he's back to doing one-arm pull-ups at the gym. Said he hadn't done that okay. in a while. So, I mean, it, it, you know, it's all systems go. Uh, recalibrate as you see fit, of course. And uh, just a quick reminder, of course, that, that the, the Rotowire NFL podcast is brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. Forgot to drop that at the beginning. But, yes, our friends over at WinBet sponsoring us here on the Rotowire NFL pod. Uh, let's move on a little bit. So, like, we, like we've established, there is a ton of running back action early. So, uh, with my next pick in the with the fourth pick of, of the second round, I went with my best receiver on on the board, and obviously the I, you know pound the table for this guy every single year. But AJ Brown, uh, I felt I felt pretty good about that, and, and the standard scoring, I think he he's might even be better in, in that format that, than PPR. Yeah. Um, so I think so. I was I was pretty ecstatic to to end up with him um I'm, i don't know how much aaron jones i'm gonna end up with this season i i don't know why exactly but i i probably feel a little bit more comfortable going uh with aj Dillon in, in the you know mid to late rounds you know round nine or whatever, whatever his adp is right now um it tends to make a, a fair bit of sense to me because jones isn't isn't going to be hogging all those snaps that that type of thing so uh going running back um, I did kind of have to just cross my fingers um, af- after that and, and hope that I could get a decent RB2 because, you know, this was a draft where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went late second. Josh Jacobs went a little went way higher than he usually does. He went at the end of the second round. Right. So um, I definitely wanted to leave the first couple of or the first like three or four rounds with, with a couple of running backs I felt really strongly about. And. I was able to do that because in the third round, uh, DeAndre Swift fell to me, and and I was lucky in that sense too because again the the guys that we were drafting with, we all know each other, um, and uh, Benzine specifically, I could see him trolling me and and you know taking my Georgia Bulldog right right before I'm about to pick. But luckily, 
that was not the case. Yeah, I love Swift in the third round, and especially like point per reception. I guess he doesn't usually fall there at point per reception, but I'm drafting a lot of DeAndre Swift in the late third, at, which is half point PPR on underdog. Um, in standard scoring, it might be kind of like the Eckler thing. He might lose a little bit just because he's so much a pass catcher as a running back. But uh, I've been saying, uh, you know, for at least a couple weeks, I view Kamara. Austin Eckler and DeAndre Swift pretty similarly in terms of the kind of usage I expect from them and the, the types of usage, uh, not just the volume. So with that and the fact that I think they're kind of similarly talented, Kamara is definitely the best one or probably the best one of the two. And Eckler, Eckler's a guy you really don't want to, you know, underrate because his pass catching season two years ago is basically the best a running back has ever done aside from Marshall Falk's two or three best pass catching seasons which is pretty crazy to, to reach that sort of height. Um, I love Eckler, but if I pick between those three for the price, I like Swift the most because I don't think the degree, uh, I don't think the gap in the ADP from Kamara to Eckler to Swift is soundly reasoned on the basis of talent or usage. And I, part of that too is I'm a little concerned about Taysom Hill and the effect that he might have on Kamara, to be fair. Uh, if this was Drew Brees' offense, you know, Kamara safely wins. There's, there's just yeah. some uncertainty in his case that he hasn't dealt with previously. No, I, absolutely. So that that makes him, you know, he he fell. We did an underdog draft that we that we live streamed a few weeks back, and and uh, Kamara fell to me at like five or six, and I hadn't seen him go really outside of the top three or four. Um, and like you mentioned, it's a half point PPR format, so that that was a bit of a surprising development there. Um, let's move forward here. Kyle Pitts was was my next pick. Um, so he he was the first tight end to go outside of that that you know pretty well established top tier of Kelsey Waller Kittle. I was considering uh, trying to go for like a Mark Andrews Lamar Jackson combo in the in the fourth and fifth rounds, but with Pitts still available and and just my my general thinking on him for for this year. And I, I think I'm a little bit light on shares at, at, at present time. I wanted to bank one, so I, I went ahead and got the rookie rookie tight end. So uh, I know that, or I think I have an idea of how you would uh, evaluate this pick, but uh, please uh, let us know. Yeah, I get that there's risk with it, but I am totally okay with that risk personally. Uh, maybe it would be different if I had something like 10 Kyle Pitts teams by now, but I only have like three or four or five or something like that. And I want some exposure because if in general, I think the tight end ADP is pretty sharp. I think that the, the one that I target is largely just dependent on what draft slot I get because there's nothing wrong with Kelsey's price. There's nothing wrong with Waller or Kittle's price. Pitts is the first one of any serious contention among people regarding the ADP. I'm okay with that one too. I'm okay with Hawkinson. I'm okay with Andrews. I like Fant, I like Janu, and there, there's a couple others. The ones that I'm not naming, it's not like I hate them. Uh, Logan Thomas is the only one that I really don't want to pay the price on. So uh, getting Pitts there and taking him with just the awareness that you need to kind of land a little bit better at receiver than most teams, you know, having spent that tight end pick that early, uh, that's, that's a task that I personally am not intimidated by at all. I think it's pretty easy to find wide receiver sleepers at least as long as people let, keep letting me get dj Chark in the seventh round um i'm gonna keep drafting that way so uh i like the pitts pick and i at the very least as much as i'm conceding that there's risk with him and it's that it's somewhat aggressive to take him at his current price 
I don't think that the case against him is very well stated by the people who tend to make it. They don't really say it very well. Um, it's not an interesting case to me to say, well, look how past tight ends did. He's not going to be like any of those players. You're going to have to point to a player who was utilized like him and still failed. And the closest someone seems to get is like the Megatron rookie season, which A, he did pretty well. He had like uh, 750 yards and four touchdowns in uh, 14 or 15 games, even though they were for some wretched reason where playing him behind uh, Mike Furry and Sean McDonald and John Kitna was the quarterback. So, uh, yeah, I just I think at the very least Pitts' critics should acknowledge or should concede that he's his his uh, presumed success is unprecedented, but it's also there's no precedence to say that he's likely to fail. There's no Kyle Pitts prior case to point toward. The closest you can really get is stuff like, in my opinion, uh, a, a little bit of a mix of like Marquez Colston and Jeremy Shockey and namely Shockey got the force fed usage that we expect to happen with Pitts. But at least in hindsight, Shockey was not that good of a player. He was like a pretty good starting tight end. He just had some stupid hype because he was, you know, novel. He had the he had the half sleeve forearm bands that were uh, those were all the rage yeah, now too. He he was a good player, but they 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 really wanted him to be something that he wasn't. Whereas I think with the Falcons, you have the same want and the skills are at this time. And uh, in any case. It's, people should look at it more like he's the wide receiver two of the Falcons. So whatever you believe about Matt Ryan, I think regardless of what anyone you know wants to isolate Pitts from the reasoning, like if you think Matt Ryan's throwing for 4,000 yards this year, you're high on Pitts. And if you think Matt Ryan's throwing for 4,000 yards, then fine. You, you are actually low on Pitts. But if you think Ryan's going above a certain – you know, point in the yardage, you either get to, to uh, believe that Calvin Ridley's going for like 2,200 yards, or you think Kyle Pitts is pushing a thousand and like eight to 10 touchdowns. Yep. Uh, that, that distills it really nicely. Yeah. You just, you simply just can't compare him to other cases. I, I know that like the rookie tight end thing is, is, you know, it, it's long been discussed, long been established, but uh, kind of like what, what Liss was saying a couple of years ago when, when um, there was some talk of, uh, regression for Patrick Mahomes coming off of his rookie season. It's like, well, you know, you you wouldn't put the average regression on a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Like, you, that's a different case. You don't regress him to the average uh, type of quarterback. And, you know, similar case here with, with Pitts. Like, we, it just – there hasn't been really a guy like him. Uh, and especially yeah, and in, when in people... a – Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I think I got a leg making it worse. Uh, but no, it's like the, the people who make the case against Pitts need to be more measured in what they're saying. Because if they stopped at the they stopped the reasoning at like there's no precedent for it, that's fine. But saying like that this is that these prior cases pertain to him at all, it's just you've you've just said that you misunderstand all the players involved. And uh, maybe you'll be right or something, but at best it was for reasons that you yourself did not state in your reasoning. That, that'll be one, uh, you know, fantasy victory lap that, that I hope doesn't happen this year. I, I, I really uh, I'm all in on, on Pitts, yeah. you know, kind of just crushing yeah, it a, as a rookie right away. I, I don't want to see the, the I told you so guys. So, yeah, hopefully that won't come to pass. And I don't think that it will. Um, so speaking of uh, targeting some some receivers and being able to to 
go heavy on, on other positions early in the draft with, with kind of the hope that, that you're able to find those receiver values. That's kind of how I went into it, uh, especially after the, my build through the first five picks where I only had one receiver. I had a really good feeling that the T Higgins would make it back to me um, with the six with uh, my sixth pick, and then uh, going with Jerry Judy and Marquise Brown to piggyback all of that in the in the eighth and the ninth round. Uh, you know what could have been kind of a high wire act as far as getting some good receivers went. I'm really happy with how like the, those first three specifically, but but all four really um, panned out. Yeah, I'd be a little worried about Judy and standard scoring just because I think some of his appeal or a lot of his appeal is that he might be like an 80, 85 catch guy. But it's hard to see the Broncos throwing more than, you know, I don't know, 25 touchdowns this year or something like that. And Sutton and Fant, even Tim Patrick are pretty he's pretty capable. And the other two are, of course, very capable. So I, I like Judy. Um, maybe maybe he'll be, you know, as a wide receiver two or three able to do enough and um sorry who's the, who's the other one the third one that you said oh uh, you started um, with Higgins, i know and then uh, who's the third one uh marquise brown oh marquise brown yeah believe it or not i think i like him almost as much as judy in standard scoring just because lamar is the 43 touchdown quarterback and marquise brown is good at scoring touchdowns uh, just because he's you know he's a big play threat so i think <laughs> I think Marquise Brown might be a guy who does surprisingly well, surprisingly well in standard scoring, if only because guys like Judy, uh, pass just, just target volume guys who catch a lot of passes. They don't necessarily advance as quickly in the point totals as, as in standard scoring as people might think. Yeah, and that's a good point on the on the team context as far as Denver and you, you know you project out how many passing touchdowns that they can realistically have this year. Um, you know, maybe, maybe with the 17 games, it pushes closer to 30, but I, I don't know. It, it seems like a pretty messy quarterback situation there, of course. So that that it keeps Judy's ADP and, and fans ADP, I think, at reasonable spots. And I, I think I, I did a underdog draft for uh, the puppy the other day. And I believe um, Tim Patrick was like the last available still in the last round. So, yeah, I'll take a flyer on that just I in took case. I took him in the but- last round at. Yeah, I was doing a draft the other day, and I took Tim Patrick in the final round. I'm pretty sure he's going to have better numbers this year than Hamler. And I like Hamler, but Patrick's pretty good, and people just like, they wrote him off for no good reason. Yeah, and he, yeah, he's coming off of an awesome season. I think he's kind of proven now that, that he's you know a legitimate NFL wide receiver. I don't think that he's, you know, most years going to be a number one or a number two guy for, for you know, a healthy offense. But um, he can definitely contribute. He's got the size to, to be a guy um, in the red zone. So... Uh, keep an eye on him in in your later rounds, but um, don't want to belabor this draft too much longer. I rounded things out. Tony, uh, Robert Tunyon in the tenth. Tony Pollard, Kirk Cousins, which is a bit of a misstep. This was a live draft, so I didn't really think to look at the at the sheet of paper that had Matt Ryan's sticker on it. Whoops! But still, I already had Russell Wilson. I probably prefer Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. I don't. I, yeah. I don't feel too bad about it then. Uh, I got Terrace Marshall. Got the Ravens kicker. So obviously Justin Tucker. Um, or no, that, that's the Ravens defense. Um, and then Alexander Madison and Michael Badgley, the the money badger, to uh, to round things out. So. I walk away from this team feeling pretty confident. I, I've taken down this league before, and I, I think that uh, these guys might have the goods to do it again. Yeah, uh, so bad it's not PPR. I would put like 
heavy money on, on your team to win it if it was PPR especially. Uh, but even in standard scoring, um, I think DeAndre Swift is going to be one of the yards from scrimmage leaders at running back. It's just, uh, you know, it would have been nice to get another 80 points or whatever it would have been. Uh, yeah, for, for sure. But, uh, you know, you live and you learn. And, uh, you know, the standard it'll scoring, it'll, I think it's still going to turn out to be uh, just fine. Um, so that's going to round it out as far as the Vegas draft is concerned. We're going to get to the Scott Fishbowl uh, wrap-up discussion here right after a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, so last time that we that we picked it up, I think you were in like the third or the fourth round of your particular fishbowl draft. I, I think I had just taken my fifth selection, which was Baker Mayfield. So um, we were not particularly far along, but now I, I believe all the all the fishbowl uh, drafts have completed. And Mario, how did you uh, approach your your end game, or, or not necessarily end game? Uh, but, you know, how did things go for you since we last talked? I pretty much just, uh, my only strategy, which I didn't really think through that much, was just taking kind of my draft board and giving reference to quarterbacks and tight ends. And then once I got quarterbacks and tight ends accounted for, I just kind of let it roll like I normally would without thinking too much about it. But I got uh, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, Kyle Pitts as my first three picks. And then I was like, all right. Just time, time to just aim all over at running back and receiver and just pile up numbers there for a while. So I took two running backs first, DeAndre Swift and J.K. Dobbins. And I was hoping to get more like Swift as my second running back and somebody better than – not better than Dobbins. I, th- I think Dobbins is a really good player, but someone who gets more work than Dobbins perhaps as my second running back. But there is a version of, of possible events. Like if, if Gus Edwards gets nicked up, Dobbins goes from you know late third-round pick to – you know, really, really high, something, 15, top 15, top 20. So there's a certain version of upside possible there, despite the lack of a floor week to week. Hopefully my quarterbacks and my tight end and 
uh, DeAndre Swift can can make that irrelevant. We'll see. Uh, didn't get my first receivers until the sixth round when I took Cooper, Tyler Lockett. Uh, ninth round, I took DJ Chark. So I, I actually took Noah Fant before I took DJ Chark. And it was pretty much just because I was like, he's getting way too close to his normal ADP, which is usually in like the ninth round. And in this tight end premium scoring, I, I was like, someone should have had to take him in the seventh. I can't. I can't let these guys get Noah Fant in the the ninth round or something. So I took him. I can. I'm I'm probably going to start him. He's not like going to be a backup or anything for me. You can start something like four tight ends if you want. So I expect Fant to catch 70, 80 passes this year, maybe. And in this scoring, that should make him pretty valuable. But yeah, I'm pretty happy with Cooper, Lockett, and Chark as my top three receivers. Um, I have more faith in Chark than most people. I've, I've probably talked about that a lot already. But particularly if I have high point totals at quarterback and tight end, I think Cooper, Lockett, Chark can do the trick. Uh, I was glad to get Dak and uh, Cooper, of course. Antonio Brown is my fourth receiver. Damian Harris is my third running back. Totally okay with both of those. I I started to get uh, really on brand when in the 12th round I took Cam Newton as my third quarterback. And I... I, it was almost like the fan thing. I was like, man, I don't really feel like I even need to take Cam here. But I thought, I, I think he's, it, I acknowledge it's risky, but I really feel like there's so much upside with him that people aren't considering to this point in the offseason. And I want to be ahead of that if there's ever any kind of like waking up. Like if we if we get to, you know, middle of August and people are saying it looks like it's going to be Cam, he's going to go from like the 17th round in normal leagues up to the, who knows, like 11th, 10th, something like that. So maybe even higher. Uh, he can put up a lot of fantasy points, including in the fishbowl format. And I didn't expect, I didn't plan to do this, but when I 15th pick came up, I was cool enough with my, you know, running backs, tight ends, receivers. I actually took Mac Jones. I didn't think he was going to be there. Uh, I assumed someone was going to take him after, like right after I took Cam in the 12th, actually. But no one did. And, uh, you know, normally I don't pursue handcuffs or whatever, but in this format, it was like, why not? I mean, I think Mac Jones is a good prospect. It's not like I think he's a bum. I just happen to be high on Cam. So uh, glad to get them both. I got the quarterback for the Patriots one way or another. Uh, so that yep. gives me, I think, as good a quarterback lineup as anybody in my division or whatever. Um, otherwise, I got uh, Devontae Parker, Paris Campbell, Christian Kirk in the 13th, 14th, and 16th. And then from that point, I basically just hammered backup running backs. So I ended up with Chuba Hubbard, Tevin Coleman. I guess he could start. I don't, I don't really care. Uh, took Wayne Gallman and Elijah Mitchell, hopefully cornering some part of the San Francisco backfield in the process. Uh, and Alex Collins was my last pick because I thought if Rashad Penny's busted and Chris Carson gets hurt, I actually think Collins would start for the Seahawks in that case. Yeah, I actually had Collins in my queue uh, for, I think, my 21st pick. But, um, you know, little egg on my face I, I i guess i ended up with with mark ingram instead so maybe maybe someone jumped up and, and grabbed uh collins but before then i i got nico collins unrelated a, a little bit earlier than that as as well um but yeah i, I actually think Co- collins is is alex collins to be specific is is a definite solid like dart throw at, at the end because like you said you know Carson he's had the durability concerns and and we just don't know what what present day uh, Rashad Penny looks like so Collins you know not too far removed from from some very good fantasy seasons it could you know be a, a total boon it, it, but also you don't have to pay a price to where it, it actually hurts you if, if you know it never really materializes right. yeah he's only relevant in drafts that have like 20 or more rounds but yes. as far as that list of names that deep in the haystack you know it's like 
annoying unexpected things happen every year. Like Wayne Gallman having the season he did last year uh, probably was a lower probability outcome than Collins having a season like that this year. Uh, very unlikely, but you know, weird stuff happens. Absolutely. So, um, uh, yeah, I definitely like the strategy of hammering some backup running backs late. I, I, I really think that's a strong end game strategy. We had a couple overlaps uh, in our picks. We both ended up with Damian Harris, so that's good. Although I took him a few, three rounds earlier than you did, so um, maybe I was just a little bit too aggressive on that one, but either way. I mean, I like Harris a lot, and I'm, it's not the kind of thing that I can advise people to draft on this assumption, because it's you know, it's probably not going to happen, but I still think there's a chance he gets some pass catching work this year. Like He was never bad at that at Alabama, uh, and he might have just never gotten reps for it previously because they had Burkhead and White already. Right, exactly. So, yeah, maybe he's not a complete zero as far as the, the pass catching is concerned. Uh, one comment. Where's your kicker, man? Oh, right. So uh, I didn't look into the actual scoring system for kickers until, I don't know, the 10th round or something. And uh, once we once once I saw that you lose points for missed field goals, it was just a big never mind for me because I, f- I feel like kickers, if they didn't lose points for missed field goals or missed extra points, would be fair, uh, barely flex viable in this league, like bi week flex viable because it's really easy for a kicker to just kind of get like three four points in a game and their higher range outcomes rarely go higher than like twelve or thirteen or something like that. So. Uh, I'd rather have like almost any player that I know the name of over a kicker in that kind of format. That's fair. I went the other route, and and, and I believe I was the first person to take a kicker in my uh, draft. Yep, uh, place kicker one, so that's Justin Tucker. Uh, took him in the middle of the 12th round. Um, you know, if, if there is an exception to the to the kicker rule, or the, you know, the kicker details that you're mentioning there, I feel like it's Justin Tucker. Um, Maybe it's just yeah. the, my pur- my purple colored glasses. Uh, who who knows? But um, I felt well. Okay even a guy about like that. Zerline misses. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna. Even a guy like Zerline misses a bunch of kicks, even though he makes a bunch too. You know. So it's like it's Butker and it's Tucker. That's about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Zerline. Yeah. Legatron. You know, he's great because he can he can make the long field goals, and you get the the full decimal scoring in this particular format. So if he hits a 57 yarder, that's 5.7 points, uh, that, that type of thing. So definitely useful, but, but again, the, those missed kicks really hurt. And I, I just figured like Tucker's accuracy, uh, would mitigate, uh, that risk. So hopefully he, he remains yeah. as automatic as he has been to this point in his career. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll quickly transition over to, to my team, the, the rest of the, or the rest of, of how that draft went. Uh, Sixth round, DJ Moore. Then I got Damian Harris, Chase Edmonds, my first share of Edmonds. Still not sure how I feel about that. I'll I'll pick your brain about that in a second. Uh, Tunyon, Gallup, Hollywood Brown also ended up with with Cam Newton. Um, And A little while later, I got a bunch of receivers. I loaded up, um, went with Sammy Watkins, Van Jefferson, Tim Patrick, Nico Collins for round 16 through 19, then rounded things out, Jamar Jefferson, uh, Mark Ingram, and Tyler Conklin. So again, fully expecting to, to cut Ingram if provided that there are moves in this league. Um, but um, otherwise, I mean, 
I feel okay about this one. This is my first foray into the fishbowl, and obviously it's got a unique uh, set of scoring, and, it, and you know, you never really know who you're drafting against. You know, we had a pretty fun league. Some interesting picks were made, of course, but all in all, I think... I think I put myself in decent position here. We'll we'll see if those are uh, of famous last words, you know, in a couple months. Uh, well, you said you took Cam, so I think it's safe to say you're gonna win your league. Okay, all right. That 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 was real. That was all the the preamble was intended to uh, to evoke. So we got it, and uh, now now we're good. So that there uh, there wraps up Yeol Fishbowl discussion. So Mario. Let's get into some ADPs that, that have stood out to you, some guys that are values at their current uh, ADP, some guys that are some are some are, you know, in the in the higher risk, some of the higher round guys, but there's a bunch of other guys that, that won't totally uh, sting if they don't end up panning out, but either way, um, worthwhile risks nonetheless. Actually, I want to start towards the back and work our way up the board. So Leonard Fournette is kind of an interesting case. He's not like a sexy pick anymore. I think those days seem to uh, to have come and gone. But what do you like about him at, at his current ADP and, and how things are setting up as far as the, this uh, Buccaneers offense is concerned to where you know he's that worthwhile late-round running back? Yeah, it might be a little tougher to make him useful in redraft or whatever, wherever you have to start players, because it's probably not going to be easy to see his good games coming. Like, Ronald Jones is probably a better pure runner. Uh, I think, though, Fournette should trend toward taking over the lead back role there just because he is ahead of Jones as a passing down running back. That's clear. And I don't think Gio Bernard is there to just take the passing down work from Fournette and then, you know, just basically reducing Fournette versus Jones as a runner uh, being a question, being the question. Like, I think, I think Fournette is going to trend toward the front and then, yeah, if they get, if they get in a catch up situation or if they get in a shootout where they get into like 75 snaps in the game or something. Yeah. Geo becomes a candidate in that case to push for 20, maybe 25 snaps, but usually I think he's going to be more like 15 snaps a game maybe garbage time looks and part of why I'm a little optimistic about Fournette is just that he finished last year so strongly and Jones was okay during that stretch but Fournette was really effective basically uh, throughout that last seven games that they had I mean he, he was, as a pass he was playoff playoff Lenny turned into Lamborghini Lenny which turned into Lombardi Lenny so quite quite the progression right. he had towards the end of the season but yeah, if he's if he's producing like he did in that stretch as a pass catcher, there's not much reason for Bernard to play. And uh, in the eleventh round, I just feel like the risk is so low. And like Ronald Jones has gotten nicked up in the past. It's it's not that hard to imagine Fournette becoming a three down player for what could be the league's best team, one of the highest scoring offenses, one of the teams that will be in a run viable game script most often because their defense is as good as it is too. Uh, I think Fournette has largely struggled in the NFL, or at least disappointed relative to his prospect status, just because a lot of his big plays at LSU were the result of having a huge offensive line advantage, and that scenario never really recreated itself in Jacksonville, but it kind of is, I think, in Tampa Bay. Like, their offensive line, with Wirfs being a huge steal, 
that offensive line could become more analogous to what he had at LSU. And even if you don't think he's a good running back, he's still a huge fast guy. And if the safeties are far back and the offensive line is giving him room to build up speed, he can just keep doing what he did at the end of last year. So uh, that's not something that I feel certain will happen or anything. But once we're in the 11th round, my alternatives don't have anything more solid to go on anyway. See, exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot of factors in play. And and again, you know, when you, when you can get Fournette, you know, in the 11th round in, in these redraft leagues, you know, as much as, as he may be that, that relative disappointment, you know, compared to what he was coming out where, you know, he's drawing all the comparisons to, you know, so many, uh, you know, Hall of Fame even level running backs. He's obviously not going to get there. At least we don't think so. But, you know, the promising second act uh, in Tampa Bay, at least to start here. And I think it could definitely continue. I think you make a good case for him there. Um, I'm going to make you talk about David Johnson for a minute because he's someone that I think everyone everyone hates to to even like acknowledge the Texans and that's totally fair I think that they are far and away the worst team in in football and maybe one of the worst in recent memory or you know again provided that that there's no Deshaun Watson this season but they still have to play 17 games and presumably they are not going to do the bourbon bowl kneel down every single play so they're going to run an offense or at least you know something that that resembles one and david johnson you know obviously tops that running back group yeah so i I guess i should have said when i was talking about fournette and there being no uh alternatives with more solid cases to make i think david johnson actually has probably a, a bit more solid of a case but he's they're both overlooked, in my opinion. It's just that even more more egregiously for Johnson, especially because Johnson falls almost to the end of the twelfth round pretty regularly. Like I would guess, he basically goes about a round before Fournette in most cases. So uh, I, I try to I will try to get both teams. And the the thing about Johnson is, like I, I know he's been a pain for years now. He's, he gets hurt. Uh, we keep getting our hopes back up, and they keep being let down again by some new injury, something or another, a few sluggish games here or there. Um, last year, though, he was pretty much just good. Like he, he got hurt, of course, but especially in those final three weeks, he was a monster. Like He had an 11-catch, 106-yard game against the Colts that followed it up with 128 yards on 12 carries against the Bengals, then 84 yards and a touchdown on the ground against Tennessee, 36 more yards in the air. Like, if particularly if we believe that the Texans are going to fall behind in every game, we should think that David Johnson can play, I don't know, 50 snaps per game because Philip Lindsay is not going to be the passing down back. I would guess Mark Ingram would sooner get cut than encroach upon David Johnson's passing down work. So I feel like we pretty quickly corner ourselves into concluding that if, if he's able to, David Johnson will play by far the most snaps here. And I, I can imagine Lindsey being as good or a better of a ball carrier specifically, but if they're not in a position to run the ball in the game, that doesn't really matter. And I don't even know if it's a given that Phil Lindsey's a better pure runner than uh, David Johnson. For what it's worth, I have taken Lindsey too in like uh, the seventeenth round, something like that, because he's it's like so cheap. Uh, take almost any any RB two in that range, and, and I think he's better than probably some of them out there. But David Johnson could be that kind of uh, probably not 20 carry, but he could be a 15 carry 
five or six catch kind of running back. And if he doesn't get hurt, it almost seems more likely than not. No, absolutely. So yeah, the, oddly enough, it, it does feel like David Johnson do, does have the, the solid cases. It just, it, it feels like people just don't want to investigate the Texans uh, offense. Yeah, too he's, much. he's going later than like Latavius Murray and these guys who won't even play hardly. It's just, it's just strange. Right. So uh, that, that definitely checks out just such a good path to, to, you know, volume. And that, that's obviously what we're chasing, especially um, in that portion of, of the draft. Um, let's the end move of the 12th oh, round. That's crazy. That's nuts. Sorry, it's just crazy. Yeah, sorry. Let's move on over Christian Kirk. What's, uh, what's the deal with him? Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to put him in quite the same category of uh, just – this article that I'm writing and some of these names that we picked from, it was, it was guys who I'm basically like telling people – at their current price, you might as well buy them in bulk. There's no actual risk at this price. There's some risk with Kirk. I'm personally taking the leap of faith anyway and buying a lot because I, I have confidence in him. Um, and the way that case would go is I do acknowledge that Rondell Moore is a problem. A.J. Green could be a problem for Kirk too. But the way I see it, Kirk coming out of A&M was as good of a slot receiver prospect as Rondell Moore was this year. And Kirk has at no point embarrassed himself as an NFL player. If anything, it's like when he's gotten a real opportunity to produce, he has. But he's been doing two things. Uh, one was playing out of position, especially last year. Like I feel like he's, I feel like he played in the slot like the first three or four games of 2019. But for some reason, all of 2020, he lined up on the right side pretty much every play. And then Fitzgerald was in the slot pretty much every play. DeAndre Hopkins on the far left every play. So. Out of those three, Kirk was running by far the farthest downfield, something like 11.5 A dot. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is at like 8.7. Fitzgerald's probably at like, I don't know, six, something like that. So Kirk was the fastest of those three, but he's only like a 4.47 guy. He's supposed to be a slot receiver. He's more of like a Golden Tate than a you know downfield kind of guy. And they were using him largely as a downfield specialist. And they throw these bombs to him deep and he, he doesn't really create separation on those plays. He, what he does is he gets a quick window underneath and then he weaves through the defense after the catch. And he was great at that at Texas A&M. He was, he had a, if you had to go uh, beyond Rondale Moore for the question of best true freshman receiver season of like oh, 20, man. 2010 or further, Christian Kirk's freshman season at A&M would probably be the competition for Rondale Moore. Like he had, uh, it was a different kind of look, but he stepped onto a team that had Ricky Seals-Jones and Speedy Noyle, who were both really high recruits at the time, who had a lot of hype, and Josh Reynolds, who's two years older, and he just stepped in and was immediately their best receiver. So if, if, uh, if Rondale Moore is a great prospect because he had a big true freshman year, then so is Christian Kirk, and they play the same position. Kirk has three years of NFL experience. I think Rondale Moore is going to be more like the Andy Isabella role from last year, but just bigger and more effective, obviously. But I think Kirk is going to be the Larry Fitzgerald replacement, and the current market doesn't leave that possibility open at all. The current market says Christian Kirk's just a backup, and I don't think that's true. Especially with, with you know how many receivers they're running out there in, the, in their given formations. Yeah, no, that de- that definitely tracks, and and yeah, I think people have been a little bit quick to to throw the dirt on on, on Christian Kirk. I, I think that you know get. Getting that Fitzgerald opportunity like you're envisioning right there would, would be absolutely huge. And, you know, he would be able to crush value um, at his current ADP. Um, let's get on over 
Let's go way up the board. Let's get into the first round quick before we head out. Talk to me about Jonathan Taylor and, and his current ADP and just kind of how to navigate that, that first round if he's available to you. Yeah, so I took him a bunch of times at the sixth pick, and I wouldn't tell anyone that it's risk-free at that price, but at the tenth pick, the only risk that there is to Taylor is the same injury risk that exists with any other player. There's no meaningful risk in taking Jonathan Taylor tenth overall. It's just it's what happens when people get too high on their wide receiver uh, fetishization and, and think that they're smart for taking Stephon Diggs seventh overall ahead of Taylor or whatever. Um, I don't see other running backs jumping Taylor in the order. It seems like it's just receivers like Tyreek, Stephon Diggs getting drafted higher. I assume somebody wrote some article about why they should do that, and I assume people are just doing what they're told. But uh, they're going to regret it. If Taylor stays healthy, they're going to wish they took him and they didn't let somebody else in their team get him. Not just at the 10th pick, I'm seeing him fall into like the mid-second round. This is just nonsense. Like You're not thinking it through. Um, but anyway, if, if you want to let the, the, the probably the best pure runner in the league after Nick Chubb and Dalvin Cook and Kamara, I'll say... Uh, fall to the second round because what Marlon Mack? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Marlon Mack coming off the Achilles. If you want to do that, then please invite me to your league. I'd I'd love to hang out with you guys. <laughs> Simple enough. Yeah. So um, yeah, that fade JT at your own risk, especially uh, if he's still around to you at pick ten and beyond, and and uh, especially. If he's there in the second round, that's a, that's an absolute steal. Yeah, that's Just him ridiculous. over him over Diggs, for sure. Like, yeah, I had not even really considered that as something that that someone would would do and say that it's a very good strategy. So, interesting. Um, but but pe- you know, people love uh, their receivers and they love they love to uh, hate their running backs. So. They love to they love to just desperately wish that all the running backs break their legs in week one. They love to do they that. Do. It's, uh, yeah, it's a way to live, I guess. You could choose to live that way, and they do, and they're real loud about it as well. I think that's gonna wrap it up for this week's edition of the RotoWire NFL Podcast, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. And starting next week, Mario, we got an exciting development where we are going to have podcasts, NFL podcasts, every single weekday. So starting things off, Monday, Jeff and Chris back in the saddle talking NFL. That's always a great one. Tuesday, Jake Latarski and Joe Bartle handle the waiver wire. Wednesdays, Jeff is always joined by an industry guest. Thursday, you know we're holding it down for you, of course, myself and Mario. And then Friday... Uh, some DFS with, with uh, Andrew Laird and Scott Jenstad. So a really, really strong lineup that we're rolling out once again. So stay tuned for that uh, coming up this coming Monday. So very exciting stuff. And again, for Mario Puig, I'm John McCagney. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by WinBet. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.